Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Led Podcast. Today, we have a really awesome episode where we're going to be diving into this one topic of like, how do you go from sales led to product led at a $100 million business? Because it's much, much different than if you're working at a smaller business and just the scale implications, what you got to think about. And here I have none other than the CEO and co-founder of Keep. And so Keep is a really amazing tool. They kind of present themselves as everything you need for a small business, for your all-in-one system, for marketing, sales. It's really cool because you got your CRM, your marketing automation stuff, all in one place. So it makes things really, really easy. How did I describe it? Did I kill it or was that on point? (laughs) No, you're great. (laughs) Sales and marketing automation for small businesses. That's it. Cool. And what, like you've been at this for 20 plus years. What was like your initial kind of like founding story of like, yeah, I started Keep because of this. Yeah, totally. Well, it was that, you know, when we were doing this, Salesforce was way overkill. We knew that small businesses needed something much more tailored to their needs. And we were super passionate about it. So we created it for ourselves and for some others. And then pretty soon it turned into marketing automation for small businesses And then as we scaled and grew the business, we recognized we needed to emphasize the sales side a little bit more. So, you know, instead of trying to stitch together a pipeline management tool and an online sales tool and and marketing automation with CRM, we do all of that for small businesses. Our target customers are two to 25 employees. So, you know, you can think of it as a solution like HubSpot, but truly for small businesses. And we, you know, we say that everything small businesses need, they need a lot of help from real human beings. They need service and support and the strategy to put this in place, because a lot of times our customers don't have this, this orientation around the customer journey and the process and how to automate it. So we bring them the software, the strategy and the service and support they need to be successful. And we've found that when you put all that together, it's a really great solution for customers. Totally. Yeah. Having uh, been in that bracket, I know how many (laughs) tools and everything else. It's so easy to be like, oh my goodness, why do we have like so many tools to do all these things versus just having it in one place? It's a huge game changer. So I love it. The problem you're solving is definitely humongous. And so what we're going to be doing for this episode, which is a little different than some others, is we're going to go through our product-led journey of like what a typical product-led journey looks like for a lot of companies. So uh, we've broken it down into six phases. And what I'm going to do is just go through with Clay what he did uh, with him and as well as his team uh, at each of these stages. And we're going to talk about some of the big decisions that they went through, uh, some of the problems, challenges, and how that all worked out. So the very first phase is all about like just understanding like what the heck product-led growth is about. The second phase is about deciding if this is right for your business, if now is the right time to be product-led, the third phase is just planning it all out. What does it look like? How do you roll it out? What model do you use? Free trial versus free. And then we're going to talk about building it out. What does that actually look like? Launching it, uh, how to make that work, and then optimization of it. So Clay is already at the, the optimization stage, but we're going to go through some of those early stages and what that looks like. And uh, we're going to kick off with the understanding phase. So Clay, how did you just understand like what the heck is PLG all about? Well, I got to say that I feel like I'm in all the stages all at once. So. <laughs> Always understanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, we just got a hold of your stuff, your book, your materials. We recognized, yeah, it just made so much sense to us. You know, we'd run the business for many years re- being more of a sales-led company. And we knew the market has changed. Our customers have changed. The way that people like to buy software has changed. 
we need to lead with product and get our product into customers' hands earlier on. So I think the understanding process was really about myself, my executive team, several of our, you know, many of our leaders consuming the information, understanding it to the point that we could say, yes, this is definitely something we want to dig deeper into. And, you know, really it was, there was very little controversy around the table. It was more just like, okay, if we're going to do this, this is a, a serious and a prolonged effort to get a company at our size to shift to become a product-led company. How did you get your team on board? Because like you were bought in, you're like, okay, this makes perfect sense for the business. But I know for a lot of like CEOs, it's like, yeah, it's, it's one thing you're on board, but then you got to bring the leadership team on board and then the rest of the team as well. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that hard to get everybody on board. I think a lot of times the sales leader would be the one that, you know, digs in the heels and that wasn't the case. No, I'll be honest. There've been plenty of times where in the nuances of how to implement, you know, it gets a little tricky. Mm -hmm. At what point do you send a lead over to sales reps? At what point do sales reps call on, you know, PQLs? I think there's stuff like that. It's like, those types of things are in the in more of the details. But conceptually, I think we all recognized and agreed from product leader to sales leader, you know, CFO, everybody agreed this is what we need to do. And so how do we go about deciding what to do and how to put it in place? Okay. So not too much resistance, which is interesting. And so the next stage we kind of outlined is like the deciding phase. So like for many companies, this is like, okay, no, like there's talking about it, there's understanding it. And I was like, no, we're actually going to do this and let's commit to it. So how did you decide like PLG was right for you? And then we're going to talk about how it was right for the team and the rest of the business. Yeah. You know, we went and looked at the market. We looked at a bunch of competitors. We looked at, you know, our prospects and what they were saying as they came in, customers. We listened to our partners. You know, we had a number of different meetings around it. And, you know, I think when we looked at the data, both from a competitive set, from the market perspective, what prospects and customers and even employees were saying through a series of meetings, we came to, yes, we need to do this. We believe it's the right thing for the long-term vision of the business we're not sure if it's free trial or free. That was probably the mm-hmm. biggest thing that we wrestled with as we went through the, the decision-making process. And frankly, we made one choice and then pivoted you know, several months later. And I wish we would have just made the first choice, but you, know, you, you live and learn and everybody kind of um, sees things a little more clearly in hindsight. Totally. And how did you get the rest of the team to decide like, hey, like PLG is the right option kind of for us? Yeah, I think when the sales leader was confirming that this is what our customers are telling us as well, that held a lot of sway with the rest of the team members, the the executive team. Because it's one thing for the product leader to say it. It's another thing for the the quota carrying sales leader to say, (laughs) hey, this fits with what our prospects and customers are telling us. and. I think that's where I expected there would be more resistance. And to the credit of our leader, you know, she just said, this is what we need to do. This is what the market is telling us. Yeah. And then that really, it kind of brought everybody else along. And it's not a hard, you know, it's not a hard sell when you say, look, we want to get customers to value as far down the value path as we can before they're becoming a paying customer. It just makes customer success so much easier Mm -hmm. for all of our our customer success people. So it was 
I think she was the key one, you know, the key person on the executive team that once she was there, the set, probably the next one was CFO because, you know, there's revenue implications. Yeah. And, but I think that was also not too difficult to get to once the sales leader was nodding her head and saying, we should do this. What was she hearing like from the prospects? Like, just give me a free trial. Like, I don't want to talk yeah. or like, <laughs> what yeah. was it? You know, can, I, can I just get a free trial? I really don't want to talk to a sales rep right now. You know, yeah. just the normal process of coming in and talking to an SDR and then getting handed from an SDR to a sales rep. A lot of times it was, well, you know, I really don't want to talk to anybody right now. I just want to get in and play with it. And so I think when you hear that over and over, it's like, well, yeah, there's, you know, there's something there. I think, you know, this is maybe this is self-serving for the PLG movement. And I I don't mean it to be, but, you know, when you say three out of four people prefer to buy without talking to a sales rep, that's essentially what we were seeing. And so it was like, (laughs) well, if the market's telling us that and, you know, we all are feeling it, there's no need for us to fight against it. Totally. Yeah. So that kind of like join <laughs> versus resist. And then yes. how do you convince your CFO? Because I imagine like they're probably thinking like, okay, short term, this might actually kill uh, a lot of business. And then long term, like, you know, how do you kind of go about navigating that? Because they're looking at both short and long term. Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. It's concern about the short term. Yeah. You know, you're going you're gonna to slow growth initially when you go through it. And I don't think there's any way around it. I think that's just the reality of it. We tried a couple of different ways, but we looked at it and said, hey, we know this is a multi-year effort to fully convert and we just need to start moving down that path and keep the, you know, we've we've always been a more long-term oriented company, but it's really getting the CFO and the board to understand why we need to do it. And you know, it helps if you're a profitable company because you know you're not dependent on more cash and you know capital from your investors. So that's one of the challenges of doing PLG at our stage is that you are making a pretty big disruption to your model and mm-hmm. to your financials, to your processes that are ingrained, all of that. One of the pros is that if you're further along and established and you're profitable, you don't need to be as dependent on outside capital as you make the transition. Totally. Okay. So you convinced sales, CFO, who else on your leadership team, or was there anybody else where you're like, okay, this is like how we convinced them. This was the way we went about it. Nobody else on the leadership team, but definitely with the board. Right. There was work there and, you know, they needed to understand it. And, and at the same time, they, you know, they look across their portfolio of investments and they see people making this adjustment. And, you know, if we were building up the business 10 years ago, sure, it would have been great to do it then, but that's not how we did it. So you know, I think they got to a place in relatively short order when they could see the conviction of the team. How did you set expectations across like both the board, the team, the leadership team? Because like I've seen a lot of companies just have really high expectations from the gate. And it's sometimes it really is to the detriment of like, yeah, there's too much hype around this thing. <laughs> the first we version's going to be some bad. of those mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what we did do is we said, look, this is going to take a solid couple of years. Yeah. So this isn't something that, and I think that's the the one thing that we did well in expectations was we set yeah. a long term. We kept stayed focused on the long term, and we set a timeline that this is going to take a while to work through. Yep. Where we messed up was. I think there was so much fervor and excitement and energy around it that I think people, they're not as accustomed to the missteps and the pivots and all the things that Mm -hmm. you've got to do in that process. And I probably could have 
you know, as we, as we let it, we could have been more clear that, yeah, this is going to be a little bumpy as we go through the process. And that doesn't yeah. mean it's wrong. It just means we've got to make our adjustments and move forward. So I think we probably did hype too much and <laughs> on the negative side. And I think yeah. on the positive side, we set a long-term timeline. Totally. Yeah. I love those uh, timelines, especially for bigger companies. It's like, yeah, this is multi-year and it is like, we'll get into it later, but like the cultural implications too are, are definitely, there is big changes there too. So now after the deciding phase, you're like clear for yourself as team, like, okay, we're going to row in this direction. PLG is the, the option. What did the planning phase look like? Like, how did you plan for PLG? What were kind of the big steps there that you kind of walked through? Yeah. I think the big thing for us was figuring out whether it was free trial or free, yeah. you know, as I mentioned before, that as we planned and we looked at, you know, so we looked at our pipeline, we looked at prospects and, you know, kind of what percentage did we think was the right type of traffic to go down the product, the product path versus the prospects who wanted to talk to a sales rep and had, had deeper questions that was one aspect of it as we looked at the pipeline. We also looked at our at our customer base and said, okay, you know, which of these are going to have a better experience with us when they go through? And we, we have different kinds of customers that come on board. And which ones are better suited for product-led journey with us versus the approach we've been taking? Because we didn't want to just shift everything all at once. We wanted to try to have a couple of different ways that customers could go. So I think that was a really important part of what we worked on. And what I didn't anticipate was there was so much fervor for this movement in the product org that I think we got a little too, uh, the way I'd say it is we got a a little too purist (laughs) on it. We kind of got very theoretical about how it was going to be. And you know, at the end of the day, you're acquiring customers mm-hmm. and you've got to keep that focus on acquiring customers. And I think we we sometimes got off a little bit on that, but that's, you know, we can get into the depths of that in the implementation portion. In the planning, I think we under-involved sales and marketing and we over-involved the product org. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was just one of the things that we reflected on and recognized, oh yeah, we, we could have done that a little bit differently. So what the planning looked like was we set up a team, we set up a product squad that was focused on the bowling alleys and trying to figure out what we wanted to get customers to drive down and how we wanted to move them more quickly. So we got clear on the goal that we wanted them to get to and a product squad that was iterating quickly to try to get customers further down that path. Mm-hmm. But I think the key issue was free or free trial. And, you know, I think we made a mistake on that. And then it kind of slowed down our progress and our implementation. Can you kind of expand on that mistake that you thought you made as far as the yeah. model? Because I know like a lot of people listening are like, yeah, that is like one of the hardest decisions to make. And it's, it is like a big part of this because if it is wrong, that it's like, well, PLG doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. It's like, well, <laughs> fun fact, the model might've not just been the right fit for yes. your business. So it, it does have a big impact. Yeah, totally. So for us, you know, looked at competitors and different ways that people were doing it. And in our business, it's really interesting because our customers are small businesses. And 
as you know, about 90% of small businesses are solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so we had an ambition to get more of that segment of the market to come in on a free product and ultimately progress into our core product. So that's why we chose to just go all in on it and bring in those that low end of the market. And we debated, you know, we took the quizzes, we had the debates, we went through it over and over. We kind of came down right in the middle of free trial or free, but we decided to really go for it and felt like, well, you know, let's go after that lower end of the market and help them get introduced to sales and marketing automation. And so that was the path that we took. And in hindsight, I don't think it was the best thing for us because we were going away from the core customer that we really serve. And I think that was one reason for why I believe it was a mistake. The other reason is, I just think the decision that you make is different when you are an established business, you know, 100 million in revenue versus an earlier stage business. I just think there are different factors, there are different things to take into consideration. And we didn't sufficiently weigh some of those factors. We knew it was going to take longer because we were a bigger company, but we didn't realize that we needed to step into PLG in a way that stayed true to our core customer and didn't deviate too much from our our core business operation. And what we found was going to free was just too much of a deviation. And it sort of ran the product org down the path of focusing on a customer that really isn't our our core customer. And even though it was it was a squad initially that was on mm-hmm. PLG. It's sort of the enthusiasm spread. I, I'm going to put it really bluntly. I think there's a really attractive idea to product people that says, hey, we don't need a sales team. And no matter how much you say, look, we still need a sales team, they take it as, you know, if you've, and especially if you've been in a sales-led company, it's like, okay, now it's our time to shine as a product-led org. Mm-hmm. We're going to go charge down this path that doesn't require sales. And you can tell people a hundred times, no, it still requires sales. But if they're in the product org, they hear something different. (laughs) So that was the reality of what happened. And it it took the gravitational, you know, just it took the force of our product org away from our target customer. And that, that wasn't healthy for us. And so when you launched the free version, like what were some of the signs that like, this wasn't the right decision? The work that we do with automation, it takes some effort. You know, it's not something where you just, a tool, you know, I think if you've got a tool that's a a more simple, straightforward tool, if we were just doing email marketing, hey, come send an email, an email broadcast for free. That's one thing. When you are an automation platform at the core, and that's that's our secret sauce. It is automation that you can do across your customer journey. It's really powerful and it's more sophisticated than what a simple small business that's a solopreneur needs. And so what happened was you take the sophisticated automation that we offer and you you try to get customers using that who are not yet ready for that power. And it's not surprising that they're not knocking down very many balls and very many pins in the bowling lane, right? Mm -hmm. They're stopping short. And so in short, our usage just wasn't what it needed to be. And we were really struggling to move that. And so you know, that's the easiest way to say it is our customers' core use case was more mm-hmm. sophisticated than what a new small business coming in to get an automation platform was looking for. Hmm. 
Now, do you feel like that was just because the product was free and people are like, oh yeah, let me sign up for that thing. Um, and it just attracted the wrong kind of user. Or do you think it was partly you, did you give away that automation part away for free? Yeah, it was two things. The first part is definitely true. We attracted the wrong customers with it. But it's also the second part. We gave them too much. You know, we right. were trying to, so we, we were trying to give more than was appropriate for us to get the customer just totally focused down one bowling lane. And, you know, right. you, you know, I've talked about this. When you have an all-in-one solution, then the question is, well, where do you start? You know, what's the tip of the yeah. spear that you get them started with? And, you know, I think we took the wrong approach in trying to get them to do their first automation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that slowed things down. Totally. Yeah. How do you decide, like, what is the tip of the spear? Because I know for like multi-product companies, that is one of the hardest things. You're like, what is the commonality between like all of these products? What is like the shared resource? Like, is it contacts? Is it something else? So how did you kind of think through that? Yeah. I think what we recognized is for our customers, email marketing and CRM are the two things that they use the most. Yeah. And so you know, you can see how HubSpot did it with free CRM, right? That mm-hmm. was their approach is just take that piece and do, do it for free. And you can see how MailChimp did it with free email marketing. And so I think if we were to do free, we would take one of those and do it that way. Right. We decided that it was going to take a long time to go down that path. And we wanted to keep making progress. So we pivoted to a free trial model. Yeah. And that's the way we're doing PLG today. Okay. So was there any other pieces of like the planning phase where you're like, yeah, this is like when we rolled it out, this is where we focused a lot of our attention as far as like the rollout plan, what this would look like, or was like, you would say like 80% of that time was like, let's just figure out the model. It was more figure out the model for sure. You know, we had a team that was not sufficiently cross-functional, like I said, I think that was one of the, one of the areas of learning for us. And I think what that caused was a planning process that didn't take enough of you know all of the different factors across the company into consideration it became more of a product initiative and i think that was you know a good, a good learning point for us yeah it's so interesting you mentioned that because like we had this uh, team who wanted to sign up for our program uh, and send like 10 of their like their 1000 plus person company they're trying to make this big transition to plg and like they wanted to start with just sending like all of their product managers to the training. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, yeah, <laughs> First yeah. off, like we don't want your money. This needs to be cross collaborative. Like if it started from the beginning as a product initiative, this is a product thing. It's going to get siloed right away. It's going to get so much more resistance. Like you need to involve everybody. This is a, yeah, it takes a, a full kind of company thing and having those cross collaborative skill sets on that team is huge. So, yeah. 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 I think that's good advice for that group. And I, you know, I would, I would say the same thing. And it's interesting how we started with everybody on the exec team on the same page as we began to do the, the iterative work around the bowling alley, it turned into much more of a product initiative and it did start to create some resistance because the sales team was like, look, these are good leads that we should be calling on. And because it, it it started to get more and more siloed in product around a free edition, I think that was a mistake that we made. Okay, cool. And so for the like building phase, I've actually like rolling this out, you're like decided, okay, like this is the model. What did you do during this phase? Yeah, 
We set a weekly cadence on the meeting with the product squad that was leading on it. And it's like I said, it spread into a number of other squads, but there was one main product squad that was iterating on this. Could you just uh, go through like who is on that squad? So people kind of know. Yeah. Yeah. So my CTO and myself and the product leader, so you had a, you had a product management person, a product marketing person, and they were the voice for the team. So the, we didn't have the engineer, you know, designer that, you know, we didn't have the engineers and the designer. We just had the product manager and the product marketing manager. So those two were on that call. And then we would have the sales and the marketing leader attend most of the time as well. And I think what happened was the sales and marketing leaders started to feel more and more disconnected from the work that the product squad was doing. Mm -hmm. And there began to be some tension there. And really, we just, you know, for several months, we just struggled with that weekly cadence. We struggled to see us moving the dial on usage because, again, I think we were trying to go. We did two things. We went down three bowling alleys. Right. And... So, you know, I think we didn't focus on the one thing because we said, hey, we're a sales and marketing automation platform. So we had automation, you know, we wanted to take them down or you could do an email marketing broadcast or you could, gosh, I'm trying to get crazy. I don't even remember the third lane. But the fact is we didn't focus down to one thing. Mm -hmm. And part of that was because we couldn't agree, you know, the product org and the rest of the company couldn't agree on what was the one thing. I remember I talked to you at one point during this, period. And it was like, crap, man, I can't figure out which (laughs) thing we should be doing here. And there's really good data on when you look at usage for, you can make a case for any of those three. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there was a case to be made for a couple of others. And we thought we were really great because we ruled out two, we should have ruled out four. (laughs) We should have got it down to one and we should have got it down to the one that was the most basic. And, you know, in, in hindsight, I think that was the biggest issue is we had three, but the one that we cared about the most was automation. And that was the one we had the hardest time getting our customers to move down that path. And again, because I think it was a product market fit mismatch for that early stage business that was attracted to a free offering. Yeah. And I mean, I always like kind of break it down into uh, a couple of buckets too. And like, there's like beginner problems, then there's like more intermediate problems and advanced problems. I would almost argue like automations is, it is kind of like an intermediate problem, would you say? Yeah. It's not something like, oh yeah, like sending an email, that's like beginner. Okay, good. You need to do that. Yeah. Uh, sending an invoice, same thing. But that it's like automating this is kind of the, once you bump into some of these bigger problems, you start seeing those things. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's the automations, at least an intermediate, if not advanced, and it's it's not beginner. And what we did is, when we, when we had the other two options, they were, you know, a little bit more beginner. You could argue email marketing's beginner. The other one was getting started with our mobile CRM. I, I, I just yeah. remembered. And that one was definitely beginner, but it was getting only part of the effort. You know, if, if we were going to do that, we needed to go all in down that path. And it was tricky to do that because it's not, it's not really the core of what our core customers do. And so it was probably just causing more distraction than anything else. We should have either picked the automation or picked the email broadcast. And, you know, if we use your beginner, intermediate, advanced, it would have been better for us to go, you know, to lean on the email marketing broadcast. Okay. So lots of kind of uh, issues in the the building phase as you kind of like rolled out thinking about like, okay, what is the onboarding pass? You kind of narrowed it down to three and they're like, okay, if in hindsight, 
keep one. I definitely echo that advice. <laughs> keep it yep. stupid simple for the first version. And so then you went to the like launching phase. Was there anything else? By the way, let me just double down on that for any listeners. Yeah, <laughs> do it. I went through that whole thing. We could see why maybe three was, you know, a good good idea. Just do one, no matter what, just do one. <laughs> like that to me was the biggest mistake that we made. Yep. If, you know, if we were going down free, it should have been one. Yeah. Maybe a preemptive book to this whole thing is the power of one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. It's the pre-read before PLG. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cool. Now for the launching phase, what did you do during that phase? Was it kind of just going through those same problems, amplified, or was there other like bigger kind of issues that arise where you're like, okay, now like the the rubber is meeting the road. You have like those weekly cadence meetings. Now I imagine like marketing and sales is getting more involved at that point where they're like, whoa, like this is coming down the pipe. Uh, we got to get ready for it. What did that kind of look like for launching? Yeah. First of all, we needed to get our frontline people on board with it, yeah. whether they were in marketing, sales, or customer success. And so there was a lot of communicating and helping people understand what PLG is, why we were going down this path. And, you know, it's funny because in hindsight, I can see how people, they sort of equated free with PLG. It was like, yeah. if we're not doing a free edition of our product or you know, a free plan, then we're not doing PLG. And, you know, we had spent so much time in the free versus free trial, which should it be? So we could, as an executive team, clearly see that we're choosing one flavor of PLG. Mm -hmm. But when we rolled it out, we didn't take everybody that we were you know, going through the rollout. We didn't take them through all of the free or free trial. So to them, PLG equals a free plan. Right. And so we were getting everybody on board with that. And you know, from sales SDRs and sales reps and onboarding coaches, you know, just getting everybody to understand it, our customer success people and I think there was definitely concern from sales reps, but I don't think there was a really concern from anybody else. It was just kind yeah. of, okay, a little, you know, a different way of doing this, but makes sense to the customer, makes sense to us. But getting the front lines to understand what we were doing and why was an important part of the implementation. And then to your question about the weekly cadence, it was, you know, each week we were looking at the data and looking at the progress and looking at, you know, sharing with people okay, here's, here's where we are. Do we need to make an adjustment on, on our PQL definition? Do we need to make an adjustment on the timing for when a sales rep works with the lead? You know, we had to work through all of the stuff of, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in sales, does this mean sales doesn't matter at this company anymore? And, you know, all those kinds of things. And in some cases, I think we handled that well. In other cases, people probably didn't quite understand that you still need sales in PLG. Yeah. Was that the hardest part of this whole like kind of launching phase of like the integration of sales with the free trial kind of flow of like, where do we use sales? Where does it not make sense to use sales? Or is it something else that was the biggest problem? That's a good question. There's definitely one of the bigger problems. I still think the biggest problem was getting to clarity across the PLG team that was driving on the improvement. It, it was tough for us. And we, you know, we obviously never got all the way down to one, but mm -hmm. I think that was probably the bigger issue in my opinion. Although if you were in sales, you felt like that was the bigger issue for sure. Yeah, totally. So what else did your team kind of do during that launching phase to really make sure it all worked kind of thing? You know, just lots of talking people through the decisions and why. I think, you know, just a lot of leading. Mm -hmm. You're leading change in a really significant way. And so yeah. 
I think our sales leader did a really great job. She's very good at change management and bringing people along. And I think she did a great job of helping people understand it, but also us listening and hearing what people were saying. And, you know, I think one of the things we quickly recognized was there's a difference. You know, you've got an SDR that is more of like the traditional SDR we'd had. And then you've got an SDR type that's more customer success oriented. That's just like moving a customer through the free experience, you know, just the bumpers, you know, the conversational bumpers on the bowling lane. So I think that was a pretty tricky question of like, okay, well, how do we do this with our SDRs? You know, that was one. Mm -hmm. Another tricky question was, well, you know, how valuable of a lead do we send down the path versus saying, no, you, you know, you need to talk to sales because, you know, the typical approach, you know, is, SMB mid-market enterprise and, you know, how you differentiate between the path you put them down, but we're all small business, you know? And so it's a, mm-hmm. you could say, well, then it's a small, medium, large deal size, but even then it's a little tricky to do it that way. So, you know, that, that was kind of tough on the implementation, but I think the biggest thing was getting the focus on mm-hmm. what exactly we wanted the customers to do as they moved down the bowling lane to get value. Yeah. versus bowling lanes. Yes. What did you do to set like the focus for the company and the team on like user success, like getting people to value? Because that's like when you think about the whole try before you buy motion, like it's very like successful if people do this <laughs> and get value. And then if people just go in, they don't get the value. It's most people don't come back. So how did you kind of like instill like, culturally and focus wise, like, Hey, this is a priority for us. Yeah. That's a really good question, Wes. I, I feel like we're still doing that. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I think it's just, it's just going, you know, just continuing to go through that process. And mm-hmm. I don't think you ever get to like a magic moment where at least we haven't got to that magic moment yet. We're just continuing to implement and, and iterate. We shifted to a free trial model. And there's some interesting reasons why we did that, that are probably as much I mean, they're PLG oriented, but it kind of demonstrates how you have to take the big picture into, pers- mm-hmm. you know, put the big picture into perspective as you make that those decisions. But, you know, I think we pivoted to free trial. And so we're just learning and yeah. iterating on that and finding ways to get customers to value in a more core way to what our customers do, you know, our, our core customers. Definitely. And now that you're like in this optimization phase, which never ends... <laughs> Where do you spend I mean, the most of your time as a CEO? You know, it's it's funny you say that. We're really swarming cross-functionally around that initial experience mm-hmm. and just obsessively working to improve that. And I think that's the fun. You know, it's it's crazy because it just takes time. It's, you know, it's, yeah. there's a lot to that. But I think that's the area that we, you know, my product leader and I and sales and marketing leaders are all working to improve that. And we're, you know, we're iterating on that as we speak. And like, what have you done, I guess, to get more of the team focused around like time to value and like that core area that you're focusing in on as far as like, is it metrics that you found works to get that alignment? Is it how you align the teams into like squads? What are some of the things you've done to really make like a lot of action around that? Yeah, we actually reorganized our product org around it. And we, you know, we have three major initiatives for the product org 
and time to value is one of those. And everybody is well aware of the three, but we have our product squads organized under those three major buckets. So we have a number of product squads that are under time to value. And we have a group PM, you know, kind of the traditional triad that is over that initiative. We, we actually call them product families. The three, you know, we have these three initiatives and pre, three product families with product squads yeah. that make up a family. And so there's an identity in our product org around that time to value initiative that we have. And even if you're not in that product family and you're on one of the, you know, you're on a squad in one of the other two product families, you're very well aware of how important the time to value initiative is across the company. Right. And we've, we've made it our number one of our three product initiatives. And so that puts proper priority and emphasis mm-hmm. when you make it clear that this is the number one of three. Totally. It also creates focus when you organize the product org around it. And by the way, we, we weren't organized this way initially. You know, this is one of the key things that we recognized we needed to do in order to have the long-term impact that we wanted to have from a a PLG standpoint. So I think that's been important product work from an organization standpoint. And it's been very clear to the company what the top priority is in terms of getting new customers to value. Okay. And what are these like other kind of like two other initiatives that you organized your product teams around? So it's time to value is like the number one. And then what are the other kind of core areas you had them focusing in on? Yeah, the second one is around our bridging of our prior product and our product we have now. So it's a it's a, right. it's a project we're doing to bring deliver more value to our customers. And it really is a you know a bridge strategy to bring those products together. And then the third one is around our platform initiative overall, modernizing, just you know, there's a bunch of different things there. So totally. so you can think of it as the time to value and then our bridge strategy with our core product and then our platform initiative. Awesome. And you mentioned uh, before we were chatting about this, like some of the bigger like cultural changes that have happened, like as far as this transition, can you just share like what were some of those big changes you noticed that really happened and which ones did you kind of shake it up? (laughs) Right. You know, I alluded to this before, but what I found is PLG in a company that had long been sales led, it had the effect of sort of creating this crusade, I'll say, <laughs> yes. from the product org. And it unfortunately became isolating because it became more of like a product initiative, as I mm-hmm. mentioned. And so when you combine the mentality of, hey, we're going to lead with products so we don't need a sales team. And no matter how many times we said that's not the case, we just had a lot of engineers that were just bought into that. This is the way of the future. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, engineers and sales folks don't get along very well. And they just viewed, look, this is, you know, we're going to do this and we don't need Open those. the bath water. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you take that human dynamic that exists between in a product org, and then you also add to it the notion that, or you add to it the, the mistake that we didn't make it sufficiently cross-functional then those two dynamics kind of drove product off off onto an island and it became very difficult to execute the initiative because they were not tied into the rest of the company the way we needed to be. And so, you know, that was a big leadership 
learning for me and a fail on my part, frankly, that I just didn't, I didn't anticipate. I didn't see that coming. And, you know, it's crazy because we'd done so much work on the executive team to all get on the same page, but Mm -hmm. the energy from the product org just went full tilt down a free product for a very simple early stage customer. And so then if you're in CS or you're in partners or sales or marketing and you're dealing with our core customers who are the ones paying the bills and keeping the lights on, that becomes very polarizing and frustrating where the energy and product is all driving down a free edition path. And so that was the interesting thing. It just became a little too, like you said, out with the bathwater, student body left, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. It was too abrupt. And that was one of the reasons why, as we tried to make an adjustment, we couldn't get people to see the viability of a different PLG approach that was free trap. Totally. And as we kind of like wrap up, what are some of like the big results that you're like super proud of so far? I know it's still early in the game. This is multi-year kind of game, but that you can share that you're like, yeah, this is maybe time-wise, savings-wise, efficiency-wise. Like what are some of those big things that first come to mind for you? Yeah, the first thing is we have a viable channel for our customers to buy without going through sales. I mean, we just, we didn't have that before. We're pretty archaic in that regard, you know? And so to me, when you boil it all down, the fun, there's a fundamental simple truth, which is a bunch of customers don't want to talk to sales reps. And now, yeah. you know, we didn't have a way for them to do that. And so that's a really important win. Second thing is, you know, I, I love the model of, the human assisted experience when a customer is doing something that's more sophisticated than just sending out some emails. And, you know, we want our customers to get the benefits of automation. And so I, I think a second win is having that free trial assisted experience. That's a little different than the way we had, because we had done a free trial years ago, not successfully by the way, but we didn't really understand the bowling alley concept and having the conversational bumpers. And so to me, that's a second thing. The third thing is the iterative work we're doing right now. And I can't Mm -hmm. point to massive results on it, but I know we're going down the right path there. I see how it's cross-functional and how how we're working to get customers to value in an exciting way. And so, you know, I think those are all encouraging things for me where, you know, I don't know, nine months into a multi-year project, it's just, you know, it's just... We're in it for the long haul and we don't, you know, we don't expect any silver bullets or magic results to come in a, in a month or a quarter. You know, we're just working at it and working to serve our customers. I think the other thing that I would say is it's been cool to see how it does bring our customer success people into better alignment with our product people. Mm-hmm. That one was, you know, we kind of hoped that would happen, but we're seeing that occur. So I think those are some of the early wins. Yeah. Well, kudos to you for jumping in on this early, making this big transition because we're truly trailblazing the way as far as like some of these new approaches. I know when we were chatting earlier too, you were mentioning like, yeah, we're doing like these onboarding coaches now, <laughs> which is what you were talking about with the yeah. uh, free trial kind of assistance. And it's it's awesome because it's like, well, those people are going to be able to help those users become successful. And when those users are successful, you can like, yeah, automate some of those things as time goes on. But then other stuff is like, well, that's just super helpful when you don't yeah. know a lot of the stuff of how you do these automations. So now this is great. Well, thanks for your help and discussions through the process. We've got a long way to go, but we're making progress.
Definitely. And where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. So keep.com is the best place. K-E-A-P.com. You know, we, we stand for the whole brand is around the grit of entrepreneurs. Keep going, you know, keep serving, keep growing. So uh, K-E-A-P.com, they can go there to learn more. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Wes. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. (laughs) And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.